you are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there. So this is likely going to be the last podcast of 2017. Can you hear that? That's the cat playing with the wind chimes in the background. He chooses to only do that when I start recording podcasts. Anyway, for the last podcast of 2017, and it's been a really um, incredible year for me, I quit my full-time job in marketing and went into recovery coaching full-time right at the beginning of this year. I actually made the decision, had it in my notice around this time last year. And so I started in January and um, it's just been a wonderful year of working really closely with people who are in the trenches in recovery from anorexia, which I had been doing for, for years before that, but not in a full-time role, not in a full-time capacity. And really, that's, that's sort of what I do all day, every day, is I talk to people who have anorexia. And I feel that I've learned so much more, because of course I have my own experience to go by, my own recovery story. But now working with other people's and, and seeing other people's personal, individual, specific recovery stories develop. It's been an incredible experience. And I, I am always just in awe of the people whom I work with and how brave they are. And more than anything, how smart they are. I really think that people with anorexia are among the smartest people I know. And when they're empowered and they understand what they need to do in order to get better they work it out. Hey, in the same way I worked it out. And um, if you're listening to this and you're not there yet, then just understand that you absolutely can work out your recovery. And um, one thing that I've learned also in this process is that we all have our own individual recovery stories. And while we can learn from one another, and that's very important that we learn from one another. And if you're in recovery right now, you will learn and be learning from the experiences of people who have been through it. But while that's important, it's also important to remember that you have your own individual recovery story and you are unique as an individual. And so you can learn from others' experiences, but you will have your own recovery path. Um, The thing that I wanted to talk about today, though, was was something that despite all of the uniquenesses that that are among us, which are the things that are, are similar and malnutrition being something that holds a lot of similarities from one person to another. And um, I think that if one thing stood out to me in this past year as something that, that people really grapple with and that's very misunderstood, it's the, recall, it's the role of binge eating in recovery from a restrictive eating disorder. And I really dislike the term binge eating actually for this specific um, circumstance of eating a lot of food. So I tended to start calling it, and I refer to it in in the book that I've just written this year and are due to publish early January, I hope, as um, recovery feast eating. Because binge eating, you know, the word just has so many negative connotations now. And it's assumed that it just seems negative. And recovery feast eating is is not negative. In fact, it's a highly appropriate response to a time of famine or a time of starvation. And even if it's your own individual famine that you're in, it's highly appropriate to feast after that time. And in recovery, it's highly appropriate. 
And I think that this is one of the biggest misconceptions in um, the recovery field, that binge eating after a period of starvation, when a person is in malnutrition, is a bad thing. And I think that it's even less understood that it's not just a few people in recovery from anorexia who go through, um, as I refer to, feast eating episodes, but the vast majority of us. But because it's referred to as binge eating and considered bad, we just don't talk about it and we hide it or we try and compensate. And that's what actually really does lead to problems. And so I think we have to go back to what are the vital substances that a human body needs in order to survive, to live. So what have we got? We've got oxygen. Yep, you can't live without that. We've got water. You can't live without that. And we've got food. You can't live without that. Those are the three vital substances. Just about everything else you can get by or you can survive without. It wouldn't be that comfortable, for example, without shelter. But in the right environment, in the right circumstances, in the absence of shelter, you could actually get by. But without food, water, oxygen, you're going to die. And so it stands to reason that when one of those things has been in deficit, the human body's natural response on being able to have access to that thing again is to take in a lot of it. So you can practice this. If you hold your breath for a minute, is that safe? I don't know. I don't don't know how, don't, don't hold your breath too long, but hold your breath until it gets uncomfortable. And what you will find happens is when you stop holding your breath, when you allow yourself to breathe again, you will gasp for breath. (gasps) Huge intakes of air. Your body's trying to make up for that deficit. Didn't have enough breath. So when it has allowed it again, it gasps, it takes it in. And if you were to also go a while without drinking water, you'd start to get really thirsty. You'd start to think about water the whole time. That would be the first thing that would happen. And I've done this before, actually, when I was in a, I've been on a car trip or something and I've been sort of, can't be in a rush or don't want to pull over and buy some water at a station, but I've got really thirsty. And it gets to the point where I really can't stand it and I will pull over and buy buy some water because I just can't stand the thoughts about I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. So you get a mental thirst for sure when you're really thirsty and you don't have access to water. But the, the thing that happens when you do have access to water is you gulp it. Glug, 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 glug. You drink a load of water. And the same thing happens when you don't have access to enough food or you don't eat enough food for a prolonged period of time. Well, first of all, the mental hunger comes. So while your body may shut down physical hunger signals, the mental hunger comes, and that's thinking about food the whole time. Um, Even if it's thinking about how not to eat if you have anorexia, all of those food thoughts, it's all mental hunger. It's all your brain saying, hello, hello, (laughs) you need more of this stuff. Why isn't there enough of this stuff coming in? And then what happens when you go into recovery and you start to eat again is in just the same way that you gasp air if you haven't had enough of it or you glug water if you haven't had enough of it, you feast on food. You want to eat a ton of food. Of course you do. That's entirely appropriate. And so I think that one of the biggest things that I've learned that really hinders people this year of all of the people that I've talked to, 
is this notion of I'm doing something wrong because I want to eat a ton of food. And I think that's really dangerous. I think it's something that the field has to address, has to tackle. And we have to stop psychoanalyzing and psychologizing this very physiological need to eat a lot of food after a period of restriction. And so you heard the podcast that I did last week with um, Maggie Westwater on uh, sugar, sugar addiction. It was published called The State of Science and it was um, all about comparing sugar addiction to other addictions and trying to work out if sugar addiction is actually really a thing. And the conclusion that they came to was that sugar addiction is not the same as other addictions because other addictions exist without the um, restriction part. And sugar addiction only really exists or that capacity and that that need and desire to want to feast on a ton of sweet things only really exists after intermittent access to those things in animal models anyway. And so that's, that's kind of confirming, I think, what I've been trying to say and so many other people have been trying to say for a very long time, that it's not the binges that are the problem, it's the restriction that's the problem. And actually, those binges are highly appropriate responses to restriction. And certainly not something that you need to feel ashamed or guilty about or have anyone make you feel ashamed or guilty about. And it's certainly, you know, usually not not anything that you need to read into. And that's where I come to the point of we have to stop psychologizing eating behavior. Because... It's really difficult enough to recover from anorexia and it's difficult enough to go through those recovery feast eating episodes anyway with the anorexia thoughts telling you, oh my gosh, this is uh, another eating disorder or you're eating too much and blah, 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 blah and all of that stuff. That's hard enough. Let alone having society saying, hmm, what does that mean about you as a person? Hmm... What emotions are you trying to convey with your eating? Well, maybe, you know what? Maybe you're just really hungry. Maybe it really is that simple. Maybe you've just been restricting and your body's gasping for breath. Maybe it really is that simple. And I don't know that I actually believe in emotional eating anymore. I don't know if I ever believed in it, quite frankly. But I, I, I certainly don't think I do now. I think we eat because we're hungry. And if you've been restricting, you're going to eat more because that's the appropriate bodily response to restriction. And maybe it really can just be that simple. Next year, um, podcast-wise, I think I'm going to start with a a lot of... um, I'm going to interview um, Dr. Laura Hill again and talk a little bit more about the neuroscience, things behind what's, what's going on in the brain all of these responses that we see to malnutrition and and also what's specific to anorexia. I'm also going to um, talk to a colleague of hers on the neuroscience behind um, body dysmorphia, which I think is really interesting and often misunderstood because not all of us have this very severe body dysmorphia, but some people do. So I think that would be an interesting topic. And I'm going to go back to a few sort of favorite people of mine that I've spoken to with podcasts in the past. And um, so Rachel Milner being one of them, who I'm actually presenting with alongside her, Rebecca Peebles, at Therese Waterhouse 
at the um, ICED conference in Chicago next year. So if anybody's around, I'd love to meet up and say hi. But right now, wishing all of you who do celebrate the festivities of a Christmas to have a wonderful, relaxing, peaceful, happy time. And um, do get in touch if you have ideas for this podcast, people that you'd like to see interviewed on this podcast. You can also catch up with me on YouTube these days. Um, kind of short videos, usually the cat is present. Um, I can't control him, so in the same way I can't stop him ringing wind chimes whenever I start podcasting. Um, but so, yeah, YouTube, you can just look for me under Tabitha Farrar. Um, and you can contact me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at love underscore fat underscore. Let me know what you think and anything that you'd like to see in this podcast. And you can also contact me through my website. Stay strong. Have a really, really wonderful Christmas, guys. Bye.